they're just it's amazing but bobcats do know that they're being chased and they have enough stamina in them to outrun and outsmart dogs i've watched bobcats on the side of the hill they'll lay down a big old maze they will sit on their ass flicker their little tail (laughs) and they're literally looking back at the dogs going come on and they watch that dog work and work and work until it knows that it's got one trick left and that bobcat will look forward and he'll go lay down a bunch of tricks he'll jump over a tree jump back in his track track jump over here and he'll sit on his ass and start bobbing his tail again These are stories of outdoor adventure and expert advice from folks with calloused hands. I'm James Nash, and this is the Six Ranch Podcast. The Six Ranch Podcast is brought to you by Sig Sauer. SIG is a leading provider and manufacturer of firearms, electro-optics, ammunition, air guns, and suppressors. For over 250 years, SIG Sauer Inc. has evolved and thrived by blending American ingenuity, German engineering, and Swiss precision. Today, SIG Sauer is synonymous with industry-leading quality and innovation, which has made it the brand of choice amongst the U.S. military the global defense community, law enforcement, competitive shooters, hunters, and responsible citizens. Sig Sauer is also a premier provider of elite firearms instruction and tactical training at the Sig Sauer Academy located in New Hampshire. For more information about Sig Sauer and its complete line of products, visit SigSauer.com. So how do you go about naming a dog? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Um, I feel like everybody has a different approach to that, right? I agree, yeah. I got, I, a, I got a buddy that does something crazy I can get into. Everybody definitely has their own inspiration to what, um, to why they name a dog. Um, I've got multiple dogs that I've named after people. Um, my buddy's grandma was one of the toughest ladies that I ever met in my life. And uh, on her dying bed, I told her I would name one of the best towns I ever had after her and the first red cow I ever bought. And so mm-hmm. I got this pup, I named her Marlene and she's honest to God, a one in a million. Like the fact that she turned out the way she did is just un- unbelievable. Mm. I mean, I don't know if it has anything to do with that. Um, it's awesome. So my female dogs I've named after like strong women. Um, so I've got Marlene and Viola, which my buddy's grandma, my grandma. Those are great names. So they're kind of old school. Um, I guess my latest pup I got from New Mexico. It crossed like, uh, I think by the time it got to me, I was in seven different people's hands. Honest to God, I knew the guy I bought it from. Didn't know one of the other people. Wow. Took almost three weeks to get from me from New Mexico to Montana. Touched like seven different people's hands. And the second he walked in, I was like, you know what? This dog's name's Trip. Mm-hmm. You know, we made a hell of a trip, mm-hmm. and we're going to have a hell of a trip ahead of us. So, I don't that's know a name why, you can really yell too. Yeah, like, yeah. if if Trip ends up to be a dog that needs to be yelled at from time to time, you can really haul it Trip. Yeah, and he's got these big old long ears on him. So, like when he drinks, they sit in the water. He can damn near trip over his ears. <laughs> yeah. So that that part of it's pretty cool too. 
How old is he now? Um, he is about nine months now. Okay. And he's actually he's really kicking ass for me. So cool. it's uh it's pretty cool to watch. I don't know. I mean, hound hunting is one of those deals to where when you go with the houndsman, you're gonna think that guy's nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started pursuing mountain lions, I went just because I wanted to harvest one, and uh, it took me three years. And I bet you we went over probably 150 cats, and we were going seven days a week, midnight to sometimes dark. We'd go back, we'd sleep three hours, and we'd be right back at it the next day. And it drove me because I wanted to harvest one. It, the guy that I was with told me, he said, shit, I haven't killed a, a lion over my dogs in 20 some years. And I'm thinking, man, we are beating the heck out of your nice Toyota pickup, putting thousands of miles. We're walking hundreds of miles after these dogs in the most extreme conditions. And you have no desire to kill one of these things. And he was like, no, I just do it for my dogs. And I thought, man, this guy's nuts. But the second I got a dog, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it's a total game changer. I've never personally killed a mountain lion over my own dogs. So now I get that. Um, I would much rather see a cat in a tree, take pictures of it, and come back the next day. Um, lions are definitely a pretty badass creature, and I find them to be pretty sacred, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and pursuing them is definitely it's just insane. It's fun. Yeah. Addicting. Um, anybody out there listening that's uh, against town hunting, feel free to look me up at jherrick3232, and I will gladly take you out free of charge and uh, show you what it's all about. For sure. It's awesome. And that's that's the truth. There's there's such a misconception that running a lion with dogs is easy, like the lion doesn't have a chance. I don't know if I've ever been closer to like – just laying down in the snow and letting the night have me. <laughs> then, you know, you, you just run it to the max sometimes. And some of those cats that have have figured out how to get away from dogs a little bit and your, your dogs are having a tough night and the snow conditions aren't right, boy, it can be tough. The one thing that I've always tried to, you know, I started out in this long before Mountain Men. Um, I just grew up a small town nobody. I mean, I went to... Class C high school, played eight-man football, and uh, when I got into hound hunting, I reached out to different companies, and I asked, why why don't you represent houndsmen? And they always said, well, it's not fair chase hunting. And I said, so you're telling me you don't support hunting? And they said, no, we just don't support fair chase hunting. And the fact of the matter is, we do it legally. We buy tags. You know, we're, we're running, everything's legal that we're doing, but I still have a hard time having these outdoor hunting companies support it, which is definitely um, frustrating for like, sure. Like they don't want to support it? They don't yeah, think it's the, legit? They don't, they don't believe that it's fair chase because we're using dogs to pursue them. And I can tell any deer, any hunter out there, hound hunting is definitely hands down the toughest hunting you will do. And if you don't believe me, jump in my truck for 10 days straight and I will change your mind. <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> because I don't care how big that bull is or how big that buck is. When you're tired, you go home. When I'm tired, mm-hmm. I go get my dogs. Yep. And it doesn't matter if I hike 20 miles and I am three feet from that dog. If that cat jumps, 
you can kiss him goodbye. <laughs> I mean, you don't get to go, come on back, Trip Marlene. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people like to have, they're like, you know, I want a hound as a pet. They're a beautiful animal, and they're really adorable. Women fall in love with them, kids. They got big ears. But hounds are born and bred to track. It's yeah. what they do, period, the end. For so sure. it's really hard to contain that type of animal to where no matter what it's going to do, no matter what the scent is, it's going to put its nose down and it's going to take off. So I kind of discourage people in the cities because, I mean, I used to live in a little town even, and I was always scared that maybe my dog might escape the kennel. And when these dogs are tracking, that's what they're doing. They're not looking up to see if a car is coming right. or if a bear or anything's out there. They're doing one thing and one thing only, and they're tracking that animal. And so it's, um, hounds can definitely be a pet, but it's definitely one that's harder when you're in a rural area for sure. And I feel like when they don't work and they don't get to use those skills, dude, they get frustrated, they get depressed and they get, they can get aggressive. You know, they, they need to have that outlet for sure. It's just like a a border collie, you know, people get border collies and put them in an apartment or keep them in town and they get neurotic, like that's a dog that needs to hurt animals. They need a they need it a lot. And those will be the people that will say that it's animal cruelty that we're using the dogs to hunt, you know. Right, they yeah. they act like the dogs don't want to do that and we make the dogs do that and realistically the dog don't want to sit in that damn apartment all day. Absolutely. And then the even the folks that let their dogs get severely obese and it exactly, causes yeah. hip yep. problems and all mm-hmm. that. But yeah. yeah, hounds are they're born to hunt. They're not good pets, and it's it's cruel to keep them from that, you know. Mm-hmm. It just really is. Yeah, and another thing is, like, um, a lot of people have a misconception about running mountain lions. So when I turn my dogs loose on a track, my dog may track that cat for up to 20 miles, but he's running that cat for less than a 1,000 yards, and that's a fact. Right. Like, these mountain lions, they have big bodies, small lungs. So they can outrun that dog in a short burst, but not more than 100 to 200 yards. So the second that cat realizes that the dogs are on him, um, he'll get up and he'll start to move. But literally from where they're bedded to where I put them in a tree is always less than 500 yards. Yeah, That's interesting. When they're jumped, they go up and hurry. Yep, they, re- they really do. Yeah. Bobcats will run for a ways. Oh, yeah. Bobcats are a totally different story. <laughs> <Those> <laughs> um, they'll, they'll play games with the dogs. They'll yes. run back to the dogs and it, that's, just run right beside them. I've literally watched bobcats run 50 yards from the dogs, and the dogs are just running here and don't even see the cat <laughs> running here. <laughs> it just, you, you know, and that's one of the coolest parts about being on Mountain Men. Um, you know, some of the work of it gets edited out, but there's times where you actually – you know, you actually get to see that hound work. And when you're running a bobcat, nine times out of ten, that's when it's going to happen. A bobcat may cover a lot of distance, but he's never going to go more than one or two ridges. All they're doing is, I mean, in my area, they're just running around chasing rabbits. Rabbits go from bush to bush, tree to tree. You'll see a dog go around a tree eight times. <laughs> then he'll go over to the next tree, go around it. He'll go right back to the same tree. And whoever's with me is like, dude, your dog's messed up. And I'm like, give him 10 minutes. I guarantee we're going to have a cat in a tree. And the next thing you know, boom, cat in a tree. Mm. They're just 
it's amazing. But bobcats do know that they're being chased, and they have enough stamina in them to outrun and outsmart dogs. I've watched bobcats on the side of the hill. They'll lay down a big old maze. They will sit on their ass, flicker their little tail, <laughs> and they're literally looking back at the dogs going, come on. And they watch that dog work and work and work until it knows <laughs> that it's got one trick left. And that bobcat will look forward, and he'll go lay down a bunch of tricks. He'll jump over a tree, jump back in his track track, jump over here, and he'll sit on his ass and start bobbing his tail again. Yeah, walk logs, do all kinds of crazy stuff. Best thing, and maybe not in your country, but in my opinion, the best thing you can do to catch bobcats, one dog. One I'm, good, quiet mouth, closed mouth dog. See, and that's always what I was trained, but Marlene is the one exception. She's as, she's so damn fast. She's the yeah. loudest dog you'll ever hear. I mean, most guys, when I turn her loose. She they just lo- chops everywhere she goes. They <laughs> would look at me and laugh. <laughs> I mean, they really would. They'd be like, no way. And I'm like, oh, yeah, trust me. This will be done in less than 10 minutes. She's so damn fast. That, like, even when she's trailing, the other dogs lift up their head and are just trying to keep up with her, and she's running the track, you know? So, it's pretty crazy how each individual dog um, is different. Absolutely. They all have their strengths. They all have their weaknesses. Mm -hmm. As a pack, um, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link, and when you're packed up, you're uh, there's no stopping you, that's for sure. Um, That's with anything in the world. You can go out and build a home by yourself and a year or you can invite 10 buddies over and have it done in a couple months. I mean, it's, I think packing up is definitely something that, um, makes people and uh, animals survive. Yeah. Do you think that, uh, Marlene, see, I had a good dog once a lot like you're talking. Do you think she's kind of a sight dog? She actually is intelligent enough. She's watching the track. I think she definitely watches, watches the track. And the other thing that I notice about her is I think she thinks like I do. And I'm one of those guys that, like, I might not be the most gifted and, you know, I'm never going to, you know, pick up a pistol and beat James Nash at a thing. But I can tell you what, when he beats my ass today, I will go home tomorrow and I will work and work and work. And the next time I'll make sure that he's got at least, you know, competition. competition. And with Marlene, it's like she knows them other dogs are there and she's just got to she's got to show them. I mean, it's it's She's competitive. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy to see the competitiveness in her, and that makes really good dogs. It, it, really, mean, it really does, does. especially when we're talking on bobcats. If they're yeah. not really a good, good bobcat dog, in my opinion, is not really loyal to the other dogs as yeah. much. You know, because yeah. it because a dog will get sidetracked and it's baying over here, or doing this or doing that. Maybe you got a dog that's bad about false treeing or something, yeah. and she's like, "Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. The tracks over there. I'm going this way." Yeah, on the go. I grew up with hounds, and um, we ran bobcats and lions when I was a little kid. And, of course, Oregon shut that down fairly early on, at least for lions and bears. I was never really part of the bear races very much. I wish I I was. I, I saw a couple of them, and, and I thought it was awesome. And it was, It's a big canyon country without a lot of trees. So you could get down in the bottom, and, and you could watch it happen. Actually you know, It was pr- pretty neat. And I remember one time these – dogs were strung out behind this bear about 50 yards back and they weren't super interested in getting getting in there and getting after him and he was just staying up ahead of him 
but there was another bear that sat down on a rim and watched the whole parade go right in front of him. <laughs> and he just sat there like he was watching television. There you go. Yeah. That is you and not me today, buddy. <laughs> sure yeah. is hot to be running. Um, yeah. But I've got uh, two labs right now. And, you know, my, my female, black female, uh, she – is incredible. You know, she retrieved her 1000th duck when she was three. Um, wow. just, she had it from the very beginning, an absolutely amazing duck dog. She's never worn a shot collar. She's about deaf now. She won't let me pet her when, when we're hunting. Um, you know, everything's on a hand signal in her whole life. And she's just there to like do whatever the job is. Her son is named Colonel mustard. <laughs> Colonel Mustard's a yellow male, um, and the only way he's ever going to retrieve a duck is if he steals it from another dog. <laughs> and I couldn't get him to fetch anything for the longest time. And last summer, I was eating um, corn on the cob, and I was out in my yard, and I was like, I'm just going to throw this thing down on the hillside, and deer can chew on it or whatever. And so I threw it as far as I could. And I'll be damned if Colonel Mustard didn't retrieve an <laughs> eaten ear of corn. I was like, this is the first thing he's ever retrieved in his life. It's like a four-year-old dog now. Like, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> they just do the most ridiculous things. It's so funny. But once they figure their their thing out that they're good at, if you can stoke that fire a little bit, they get a lot better at it really quickly. Yep, that is definitely repetition is the biggest thing um, when making a dog. Um, getting them out there and putting them on it. And if they fail, you got to be willing to walk. Um, that's one thing that I've always found. I've never left a dog on the mountain, ever. And I never plan on doing it. As long as I'm able to walk, I will go get my dog. You've never had to leave your jacket out on the ground or anything never. like that? Never. I've had to, you know, I've recovered other people's dogs because of that, but I've always felt like if I'm the one who put them in that track in that position, I'll be damn sure that I'm bringing them home that night. And I think my dogs respect me for that. I mean, I could leave them at a tree. I could turn them loose at daylight and come back the next morning and they'd be right there treeing. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're just, they know that I'm coming to get them. So there's a lot of terminology within hound hunting for cats that, that people may not understand. So if you say treeing, I'm, I'm sure there's folks listening that don't know what that means. You know, they don't know what chop or bay or any of that is. So talk us through some of the words. Okay. So what I'm, um, what I do is I start out in the morning. Um, actually I start out in the complete dark at 12 o'clock at night. I take off with my, uh, all my lights on, I kick into a mountain road and I'm just driving. I'm literally driving hours upon hours. This year I ran 62 days straight, including Christmas. And, um, I've done that for, since I've owned towns past eight years. Um, I pick one family member a year and, uh, they get to do the Christmas hunt with me. Mm. Um, but it's, it's just, it's a seven day a week commitment if you want good dogs, that's for sure. So I'll go out, I'll find a track, which is a mountain lion track in the snow that I can visually see. I'll turn my dogs loose on that track and they will follow that track all the way until they freshen it up and they chase that cat and put it in a tree. And then them dogs will actually sit and they'll point up to the top of the tree. And that's what we call treeing. And those dogs will just sit there and bark and bark and bark. And a lot of people might think that that's harassment on a cat. 
But I can tell you when you have, I've seen as many as 12 to 13 dogs underneath the tree with a lion 15 feet up sound asleep. They couldn't be more relaxed. Yeah. Could not be more relaxed. Paws relaxed, paws crossed on the limb, tail barely switching back and yeah. forth. You can see their eyes closed. Some of the big toms almost look entertained. Oh, They're yeah. Just like, look at you guys. I mean, if, <laughs> if people out there don't realize that wolves do the same thing to these mountain lions, uh-huh. we are getting overran here in um, southwest Montana, the northern part of Montana. Um, we're getting overran by wolves. And what's happening is these lions are going in, they're making a kill, and then these pack of wolves come in and they chase that lion off a kill. That's no different than my hounds coming in when that's on a kill. That cat's going to go up a tree and he's going to sit there. And those wolves have trained them. You know, it's just another day in in the eyes of a cat. You know, Mm -hmm. instead of wolves, it's a pack of hounds. It's no different to them. The problem we're having is the wolves come in, they kill, they eat whatever bit they want, they leave. A mountain lion is a very clean eater. He'll come in, he'll make a kill, he'll eat what he can, he'll bury it. He'll literally bury this thing and make, um, pretty much seal it off from all the elements and mainly visually from the birds above so that the other animals and predators don't pick up on it. So then he'll go up and he'll sleep usually within 500 yards of that kill and he'll just keep returning to it every day until that um, deer or elk is actually completely gone. And so lions are definitely very resourceful to where when you get deer and, um, or I mean, when you get wolves and bears, they're a lot more of what I would consider to be barbaric killers. I mean, they just, they kill, they eat what they can, they move on. Yeah. Gorge themselves yep. and ride. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you're running dogs in country that's got wolves black bears grizzly bears that's a real challenge and these grizzlies are out in the winter that's the biggest thing um in the state of montana we're not allowed to uh pursue bears um our season is december 1st to april 14th um anybody who knows bears knows that bears are kind of going to start coming out um late march usually when the weather starts to um, warm up and right the, about now yeah the snow starts to recede but what most people don't realize is bears can wake up at any point in the winter and bears do not have to hibernate last year was a good example of that i had three different black bears one was black in color one was red one was blonde so it was definitely three different bears that i kept bumping into randomly um, i would turn loose on a lion the next thing i know it my dogs are just going nuts and they're pointing instead of treeing, mm. which always tells me that it's on the ground. Um, the second that they're not looking up in a tree, it's on the ground. And that's a bad situation to be in, especially if it's a cat. Um, cats definitely cause a lot of damage in a short amount of yeah, time. And they slice and they cut so clean that even when you get to the dog, for instance, I had one get into a cave. I had three dogs get into a cave. And um, I pulled the dogs out of the cave. Me and my buddy had to climb in, one way in, one way out. I mean, barely could get my shoulders through this thing. I'm climbing into this cave with three dogs, baying face-to-face with the mountain lion. The only exit is about four inches above my shoulders because I'm plugging the whole hole. And I'm pulling the hounds out of the hole, handing them to my buddy. Well, there's only one exit. It's over top of me. And I just took the only thing between me and that cat. 
And by the time I pulled my dogs out, I looked at them and my one dog lefty, I thought maybe needed a stitch. He had one little open gash that was about probably two and a half um, inches long and maybe about a half an inch wide. And I thought, man, that's a little big. I should probably take him into the vet and get him stitched. I bring him into the vet. They put him under anesthesia and they shaved the one um, cut and it went from a two and a half um, inch long, half inch wide to it damn near peeled open the size of my hand. Mm. And when he shaved, there was another one. And he kind of looks at me and he was like, well, how was your other dog? And I said, I honestly, I thought there was one stitch on this dog. We ended up putting 87 stitches into lefty, three different drain tubes. And the dog that I didn't even realize Henry um, had had a scratch on him. I went and got him out of the truck, brought him in, and he ended up getting 57 stitches. Wow. I heard those cat claws are real gross. A lot Dirty. of bacteria. So with a cat. Um, just like a house cat, when they, if you have a house cat walk across your lap, their paws are not grabbing you. If you go to push that cat off your lap, he's going to pull his claws out and actually dig into you and grab. So what's happening is these cats go out there, they kill all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, they're eating on it. They got bacteria. They retract their claws into their paw fasters and it's literally cutting off oxygen it's creating bacteria i mean any you know if once you cut off oxygen and bacteria to stuff it's definitely going to start causing all sorts of stuff when you get scratches from it so cats are definitely one to watch out for if you get scratched you definitely need to clean that fast yeah and good and it can get really serious you know i got scratched by a house cat when i was living in norway when i was in high school just a little tiny scratch on my thumb. I still got the scar from it. And uh, I ended up in the hospital. My whole arm turned black that night. No kidding. Um, and like, this damn house cat, you know, we fed him. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the great stuff for a living. <laughs> that, that is the craziest. <laughs> me the hospital. <laughs> yeah, that is the craziest part is even though I got my dog to the vet, I've got him all the proper care that he needed. Um, the problem is, is the next five to 14 days is where the real major problems could mm-hmm. happen. Like you said, you got a little scratch. It was just a little scratch. Next thing you know, your arm's turning green and you got a bad infection. So you need to make sure that you get that very clean, keep it clean, and keep them on antibiotics big time. Yeah, um, That's definitely something you got to take care of. Now, Mike, your dogs are doing a little bit different task. Yeah, um, a little you, bit different. You've got dogs that are um, getting pythons and iguanas for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's definitely been been cool to see, um, especially with my dog Moose. You know, he's he's just a hog dog, just a, a cur dog, and uh, he's kind of always been by my side ever since he's been a little puppy. I rescued him from underneath a, a housing foundation he was all stuck in. And, uh, he's kind of been like my, my right hand man. And, uh, he seems to kind of hunt for me and not for himself. And I, I think that's why he's kind of turned on with the pythons. Cause I, I never really train him specifically to track down or hunt pythons or anything like that. Um, he's always been around them. You know, he'd go hunting with me, but as a state contractor, as a part of my contract, if I'm hunting for them, the state, I can't use a dog. Hmm. 
So he just kind of always rode with me and would watch me get out the truck, get sprayed with python poop and musk and put it in a bag. So, you know, he sees what I'm doing. He smells it. And uh, I'd always, you know, have him at the house, taking him out, euthanizing him. And um, one day out in the Everglades, just wasn't catching anything. I had moose with me. I was like, fuck it. Let's let's see what he does. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, dude, it's like a total... It's like a flip, a switch flipped in him. Like when he's on hogs, I turn him loose, dude. He's, he don't walk the whole time. He's just blazing through like nonstop running around through the full board, sawgrass and everything. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just hammering hogs. You know, he's, he's like a, a wild animal. Yeah. Soon as I get him on those islands, I don't know if he, I, I, I guess he must smell the snakes out there or something, dude. He's like just slow, just creeping slow. And then, um, you know, I'm like, damn, you know, he, he looks like he's kind of sniffing and hunting and doing what I, I want him to do. Um, before this, I was actually training two Brittany Spaniels to be python dogs. And I just couldn't couldn't get them to, to hunt snakes for me. I couldn't get them. To, they, they would just step on the snakes in the bags mm. and just wouldn't. I don't know. Um, and, you know, I'm seeing him hunt different. And I'm like, damn, you know, we might be on something. Start checking more and more islands, and, dude, eventually he just gets to, like, this thick area and just freezes, and he's just pointing. Fucking cur dog pointing. A cur dog pointing. <laughs> pointing. I have it, like, all would, on video. It's unreal. I would be, too, Mike. It'd be like, uh, over there, Mike. Yeah. It's over there. Go catch that snake. Because uh, I'm not getting any closer, Dad. Yeah, well, that's him, dude. It's over it's that uh, way. I can smell that damn thing. It was it was wild, man. He's pointing, and I'm like, you know, what's he fucking pointing at? Like, what are you doing? You know, and then he like takes off real quick and then starts pointing again. And then I, I see there's a python like in the vegetation. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm filming the whole thing, losing my mind, like super proud of my dog, you know, thinking like, damn, like, you know, are we getting lucky here? Catching the snake, you know, he's like kind of going for it. It's super exciting for me. I, I love working with the dog. So it's like now I get the excitement of catching the snakes with using the dogs. It's dude. That's what it's all about for me. And uh, that day, he ended up catching two for me. He caught another one after that. And I've taken him um, two times since then, and he's caught in a python every time I've taken him out. So definitely we're on something, man. And, and now it's just like he's he seems he just he has it. Um, now it's just me kind of cleaning up because when we find it, he don't know what the fuck to do. He's like yeah. confused, you know. He don't sure. really know. So I'm kind of trying to get him used to that, and I just I just need him to sit there, really. Yeah. I don't I don't need him to be close. They gotta stink. I mean, I'm sure your dog can smell those things and smell everywhere they've been, and for sure, they definitely have a smell to them. And um, you know, I can only imagine what he smells sure. on them. You know, because they're they're rubbing their scent gland and ass everywhere they go. You know what I mean? So they're definitely leaving leaving a good scent trail, and especially this time of year with mating season. Dude, they cover themselves in pheromones, and, like, that's a big deal for them. So they're putting out a lot of different scents out there. Interesting. Yeah. And then Otto, working working the iguanas with me. Allie. How do you come up with these names? Like, how, how does a dog end up getting named Moose in Florida? I don't know, man. He was the runt of the litter, too. So it was just kind of weird I named him Moose, and he's a big old dog. You know, he kind of fit his name, got a big old head. But I don't. I don't know how I came up with this. Usually, <laughs> usually the dogs they gotta 
they earn their name. You uh -huh. know what I mean? Yeah. I, I wait a while to name them. They kind of, it'll fit their personality. Auto Allie named Auto. I never, I never really liked that name, but it's it's grown on me. Full Auto, yeah. automatic. So, but uh, he's been the most fun to watch and work yeah. with, dude. He is he's a, a blast. killer. Yeah, he just wants to kill shit. Yeah, and it is. It's a lot of fun to be with him because he's he's still a puppy. He's goofy, you know, always doing crazy stuff that's kind of funny, and clients love it. And, and you're guiding these iguana hunts, and I've seen some of these videos where you're <laughs> trying to get your client to to shoot the iguana and Otto's like oh dude and you, uh, you do it or i'm gonna do it <laughs> you know for he's, sure. he's ready <laughs> for sure and then uh on usually the first few retrieves when he if he's going on a water retrieve he's giving it full bore and he's not moving as fast as he think he thinks he should so he starts <laughs> you know yelping and freaking the hell out he's like dude everything he can <laughs> and when he gets up there that iguana better look out dude he's grabbing and he's gonna put it through spin cycle for sure <laughs> eggs flying all kinds of stuff the iguana situation down there is nuts i mean the yeah. entire invasive species situation is nuts but like mm -hmm. the these big lizards freak me out like the previously i was very concerned about coming to visit you because i know you're going to make me catch a snake oh yeah but now you're telling me about these giant lizards that are you're like feeding pigs to like there's piglets, but yeah, a piglet is still a pig <laughs> for sure. Um, that's next level. It is. It's a, yeah, it's, it's for me, it's a dream come true. I mean, you know, it's, it's negative. Of course, I don't, I don't want it to be so, but dude, if you told me as a kid that I could go out and catch a Nile monitor or a damn 18 foot Python in my backyard, I'd be the happiest kid alive. Is a Nile monitor supposed to be from the nile river yeah so they're okay. from africa okay yep. the burmese python is over from southeast burma? asia burma yeah. yeah and then um the white throat monitor is also africa which i've also captured in florida and then i've also captured a north african rock python in florida in a, in a neighborhood with kids playing basketball 50 feet away 50 yards away which i'm never one that's like oh you know hide your kids from these snakes they're gonna kill them because they're probably not, but dude, when I caught that, it was a 13 foot, 60 pound North African rock python. That thing fought so hard and was insanely strong, but fought so hard with me, actually prolapsed its anus out. Like this thing was fighting harder than anything I've ever really fought with. And, um, I got within 10 feet of it and it, it just starts striking and coming right at me. Like, and that's what they're known for. They're super, super aggressive. If one of those kids, that basketball roll past that snake, they wouldn't have seen it. I mean, it blends right in. I'm sitting out there using binoculars looking for this thing for two days to find it. And, um, dude, it would have definitely grabbed one of those kids, and they wouldn't stand a fucking chance. So that thing is going to bite onto its prey, and then it's a constrictor too, right? It's so got it's going to wrap it up super fast, and then... It's got two rows of teeth, top and to bottom, death. and they're meant to trap they latches on and you're not getting out of it they're like fish hooks um they're all recurved and bent backwards and it holds on it doesn't have a strong bite but it doesn't need a strong bite at all it just gets on you and then it wraps its body around you which is solid muscle so if this were to happen like within a, a very short amount of time all the 
all the air in whatever's lungs would be squeezed out of it. They're like, you're not going to hear your kids scream. No. So as, as they would exhale, the, the snake's tightening down and then you're not able to fill that void after it tightens down. So it just slowly squeezes all the air out of you. And then if, if you're like a person, it's I'm not going to be able to <laughs> <laughs> Mike, their, their prey, like a, a rabbit here. or a rat, dude, dude it actually today, you're crushes. talking about like, huh, you're going to the Amazon to oh, yeah, yeah. anacondas. We still and you're are. Like, we still are. Jump on. This is the guy that's got my okay. back. I'm going to be in a bubble. <laughs> but I did tell him and I, and I, I still will. James, I'm sure can say that. I'm good for it. Yeah, that's true. If shit goes wrong, I'm there for you, brother. That's all I, will, I need. I will jump on. That's uh, yeah, I'm We'll die together. But as long as things are going good, I'm staying back. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'm going armed, like at least. <laughs> yeah. They're they're really not that bad, man. Especially if you're just comfortable with them and you know how to handle them. I'm it's, not, and I don't. Nothing. We'll like, we'll, we'll get you, you there. Okay. Or, we'll get you there. Yeah, we'll so have he, a little training <laughs> session. Here's my thing. Up till a day ago, I did not realize <laughs> that a hound would even track a lizard. <laughs> and uh, I don't. Yeah, it's just nuts to me. Like we're two totally different worlds using a hound yep. to do two totally different jobs, but essentially we're doing the same thing, but across. Yep. literally across the map for sure i've always been super fascinated with what you do too and exactly like you said i've never had it like in my mind i pictured if i ever did it i mean i don't i don't have lion dogs you know i'm assuming i'm going with somebody but um come on down i, I wouldn't dude i don't even want to kill one i just want to go for the ride man. i mean it that, I have no that's what it's about i mean all. here's what i always tell somebody i don't know how you could brag to me about shooting a mountain lion yeah. when i could give a five-year-old a yeah. gun, and, just and they can shoot yep. this cat out of the tree. Sure. Now, I understand like that, population that's, that's control. That's the hard part. No, yeah. The, yeah. the hard part truly is training the dogs. Yeah. And mountain lions are a predator. They need managed. Don't get me wrong. They do need managed. We have quotas set, and those quotas get met. Mountain lions are one animal that you'll never get a count on. I don't care who you are. Yeah, you're right. All the local biologists, they call us the houndsmen. I, I mean, my local biologist, trust me, he calls me every year and he says, is there too many cats being taken? Should we take more cats? We have a smart biologist, dude. And that's because they can't count them. Yeah. You cannot count a mountain lion. I, I, I can't imagine a harder job. I have lived in the they state of in Florida. Yeah. I have lived in the state of Montana for my whole life, uh, 32 years. I've seen a mountain lion in the wild twice without dogs. They say if you see one more than once, they're overpopulated. We see them all the time in South Florida. And that's because you guys can't run them. Yeah. It's the same problem. They have a lot, they've got a lot of lions down there. Though. It's the same it's problem insane. they're having in California now. They're getting to be so many of them. It's not like here when someone tells me I've seen four adult mountain lions traveling together in a pride. I'm like, no, you've seen a female with three sub-adults. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These mountain lions, I have seen them have four babies. I've seen two different ones packing four kittens, which is absolutely usually unheard of. Yeah. It's usually one to two kittens. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just it's nuts to me that you don't control the population. Then you got these problems like California's having where they have so many lions. People have a game cam on a water tank, and they'll have seven or eight lions drinking out of the thing at one time. Yep. Now there's only it's only a matter of time before they come in contact with humans 
and someone gets ate. And lions are not out here hunting humans. A lot of guys, when they leave their truck to go hunting in the fall, there's a fresh snow. They take off down the trail. They go up. They do their little hike. They come back down. They hit their trail again. They look down. There's mountain lion tracks in them. They swear. They're like, it was stalking me. It was stalking me. It was on top of my tracks on a trail. A mountain lion is no different than a human. And I don't know many humans that will not walk down a beaten trail (laughs) when there's two and a half feet of snow right off of it. A mountain lion's looking for the path of least resistance. And he's sure he's going to jump right in your feet and he's going to follow until he wants to wander off and go hunting. Cats only think three things, whether you're trapping, whatever. They want to know, can I eat it? Can I play with it? Or can I have sex with it? Mm-hmm. That's the only three things a cat will think. And if you're trying to trap a cat, they're one of the easiest things to trap if you know how to read the signs. It's it's like trapping a mouse. Ma- I mean, it's almost like trapping a mouse, I would say. If you know where they live what they're going to do, and how they act. Can I eat it? Can I play with it? Can I have sex with it? If you can satisfy one of those three needs, you'll catch them every time. Yeah. How do you use dogs in your life, Brian? Uh, We run bobcats, and I have some buddies that, uh, you know, they get handling permits in Idaho, so we get to actually go do some stuff in Idaho too. So, But I've grown up, you know, as you know, being an Oregonian, we've we're not fortunate anymore to run lions and bears like we used to, and we actually see a a bad population issue. Which, in my opinion, uh, the lions in the last three or four years have declined a tremendous amount. I don't know if it's the increasing wolf population, or they possibly got disease, or what. I would say the wolves. Have played a big part in it. I would say wolves definitely probably um, do. And then another thing is, is when you do not manage an animal, they become overpopulated and they become diseased. And yeah, that's for sure. That's exactly what happens. You know, you see rabbits, coyotes, everything kind of go through cycles like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what diseases hit cats. I really don't. Um, but my world is much like Jake's, I would say, uh, you know, primarily bobcat hunting for me we could do coons and i mean when i first got into hound hunting when i was young I mean, that's we'd go every night chasing coons and just yep. anything we could put in a tree and listen to our dogs work and stuff like that but but about the same as jake yeah, yeah. it's kind of funny you you spend your whole life yelling at your dog to shut up when he's out there barking <laughs> But I tell you what, you never see a bigger smile on my face mm-hmm. when I turn them suckers loose and they're blowing my eardrums out. It's it's incredible. It's, and we're still yelling at them when we're feeding them and they're barking. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Shut up. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole different ball game. I definitely encourage anybody out there that's uh, listening, if it's something you're interested in, reach out to a local houndsman. Um, the last thing you want to do is call the guy up and say, hey, I want to kill a mountain lion um call them up just ask them i want to know what it's about most mountain lion hunters will gladly throw you in their truck and show you what it's all about yeah just tell me you want to watch the dogs work it's yep. fascinating it truly is sure. and you and you're going to have a whole new respect for it because it is exhausting it is it's a challenge it's it's, it's, it's many things it's nothing like you see it or like perceive, perceive it as yes. yeah i mean it's it's just it's 
it's totally different. And when you get out there and you watch a houndsman work with his dogs and you watch them dogs work, to me it was life-changing. Um, how, do you, how do you know when to step in and help your dogs out? As far as... Like just figuring out a problem. You know, if your dogs just start spinning around and, you know, they'll track up a, a half acre and, you know, they're all running in different directions with their noses down and one of them, you know, starts chewing on a stick or whatever, like... When, when are you going to step in and try and figure it out for them? So I will always try to let my dogs figure it out for themselves. Um, if they get up there, um, I've, I mean, and that's a great part about my dogs is they know that even though they can't figure it out, they can work on that for an hour and a half, two hours. And no matter what, they know I'm going to come to them. And then right when I get to them, the first thing I do is do a bigger circle than they've done. So the main thing you're trying to do is box in this cat. So if you go to the edge of the dog tracks and do a huge circle around it and find that that cat didn't leave, it's in a tree right there. Uh-huh. Um, the dog's just ain't able to locate which one it is. A lot of times you'll have like a bobcat. He'll work along rock ledge. He'll jump off of that rock ledge down below the rocks and he'll take off. So you'll have a lot of young dogs come up to that rock ledge and they'll start treeing. An older dog would get up to that rock ledge, tree for a second, look around, smell, realize he isn't getting no fresh scent, and they'll just start looping. And it's it's crazy. You, you can't really train them to do it. They either got it or mm, they don't. Absolutely, yeah. And, yep. I mean, I've got certain dogs that they'll, they'll go to a cliff and they won't even tree. They'll just get to that cliff and he'll just run a huge loop around the top and gone he goes. And once he gets up to that other track – um, at the top side of the rocks, he'll blow up, and that'll tell the other dogs that, hey, there's a cat on the other side of this. You need to get your butt around here. And all those other dogs, we usually honor them. Yeah. Because they've been worked so much as a team, you know, they kind of figured out that, you know, he's taken off. I better get up there. Otherwise, I'm getting left. Yeah. Do you have other dogs, Mike, besides Otto and Moose? Yeah, I have 15 right now. You have 15 dogs? Yeah. So what do the other 13 do? Um, Hog dogs. Okay. Yeah, and that's why I want to ask you: Have you ever been catching hogs with dogs? Never ran Dude, a hog. You that's would fun. love it. Matter it's like f- cat hunting, but a lot more. I've never seen a hog in the wild. Okay. Well, dude, you gotta <laughs> you gotta come down to Florida, catch some hogs with me, and then I want you to take me catch. Oh, hogs. dude, I would gladly gladly take you cool. up here. I mean, this is it's yeah, it's my drug. We've oh, got yeah. a pretty interesting group of guys out here. Um, so we're we're in just outside Bozeman right now at uh, the six-hour elite hunter training forum. You guys are the second group of dudes to come out. Um, and isn't it amazing <laughs> that we can, like, have people who are professionals having these conversations, right? Such different worlds yeah. and yet so similar. Here's my biggest deal. I've been – I guess I've been trying to pursue these different companies. As I said in the beginning, I grew up as a nobody. They throw me on national TV, and all of a sudden, everybody thinks I'm a somebody. Um, fact of the matter is, I'm the same guy I was before I stepped on that screen, and I'll be the same guy after I leave that screen. Um, to have Sig Sauer reach out to us means so much. It's crazy. Like, I cannot, I mean, I can't even describe what it means to have yeah. a company tell you they believe in you, 
let you test out products, whether they want the positives, they want the negatives more than they want the positives. Absolutely. They yeah. respect your opinion. And when a yeah. company tells me, here's my product, it's great, advertise for me. That's that's not how I'm that's not how I was bred. If you give me a product and your product sucks, I'm gonna tell you your product sucks. And when the guy next to me asks me, I'm gonna tell him. Mm-hmm. I'm I've just been bred that way. I mean, I'm honest. I was always told if you look a man in the eye and shake his hand, you don't lie. You never have to backtrack. You never have to remember your story. Six hour bringing us out here. Totally different worlds. Mm-hmm. He's chasing lizards. I'm chasing lions. <laughs> I ain't even seen half these lizards he's talking about um, other than on TV. So it's it's just it's mind-blowing and fascinating. I cannot thank Sig Sauer. For sure. And it's such an honor, dude. A company like I know personally I've always looked up to as like such a high standard and like just – I mean, dude, I just started social media a few years ago and never in my life would I think I'd be up here in Montana in the mountains at Sig Sawyer, you know, Yep. ever, ever, or working, you know, on TV or anything like that. How I got on Instagram, literally, I was talking to my little sister and I said, man, I cannot believe all the BS you see on Facebook. When I scroll down that thing, I got to scroll for a minute and a half before I see like one of my buddies true posts. You know, to where it's about him, his hunting experience. And she's like, you need to go to Instagram. And I'm like, what the heck's Instagram? She's like, you put a picture, a description. They, you know, you don't, it's not your life story. And I was like, you know, I actually, I might use that, you know. And she set it up for me. And it's, it's totally been a game changer for me. Social media can definitely, I guess what people need to realize out there is even though you got 5,000 followers or 20,000 followers, my dad always told me one thing. You can count your true friends on one hand. Yeah. And that's – I'm one of those guys that I'm lucky that I have mul- – I could fill up definitely more than one hand. But for the average guy, you're only going to have five people in your life that you can trust and rely on. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, no matter if you're breaking the law or whatnot, you can call them and count on them. Um, and Yeah, nowadays yeah. that's a real rare thing for sure. It, it is very rare. Agreed. For sure. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, and I mean, I walk into this room and I look to my left, I look to my right, and these guys are all totally different, but we're like-minded. We have common goals. Mm-hmm. Common um, values. I feel common like. values. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely feel like we're alike people yeah. here. It's yeah. Y'all chose it. It's been group. relieving, really. It truly has been relieving I was, for me. I was pretty paranoid. I was like, oh man, I don't know how this is going to be. It's been yeah. great, and that's how I was. Yeah. Um, I'm probably well. There's only two guys from Montana here. Yeah. There's two guys from Montana here, and I get a call from Peter at 4:30 saying, "Where you at?" And uh, I'm at work. And he says, well, dinner's at 6 o'clock. I said, oh, man, I'm not going to make it till 7. He says, well, we're going to wait for you. And I'm like, Peter, I'm out of my league here. It's a lot of pressure. Don't, don't, make him, don't make him hold dinner for me. I'm already nervous as heck. And when you walk in the door, you're a team. I didn't know any of these guys, and I feel like these guys are on my team. Yeah. Like, yeah, I really do. Sure. It's well, pretty cool. It's a neat thing it's funny about that because this whole time I've been like, dude, I'm out of my league. Like, what am I doing? And the here? first thing <laughs> I do is I, I I scan across the room with my Instagram story, 
And I got like 10 people right off the bat. They're like, you're with the Python Cowboy. Yeah. Oh, was, my God. I was just going to say, <laughs> lucky insane. for me, the Python Cowboy is my team. Yeah. Yeah. And tomorrow you guys are going down. Oh, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. You're gonna, you might eat those words. I know. It, it'll taste like vinegar, but I've ate a lot of words. Yeah. <laughs> there was a remarkable lack of trash talk today. I was, I was kind of surprised. I think everybody was kind of feeling it out. By the end of the day, everybody was shooting good. Like Everybody was shooting really good out to 400. Six hour, um, baby. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. We, we've got some tough some tough challenges for you tomorrow, for sure. Um, we're going to continue clicking up those challenges as, as you go. It'll be interesting to see how you guys are able to work as a team and, uh, and how you can continue to learn from each other. Oh, if we can I catch 18-foot pythons, we can do anything. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> With good equipment, great instructors. Game on. Yes, Game on, that's there for sure. There are some good instructors here. Da- yeah. Daniel's incredible, isn't he? Yeah, oh my God, like, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. You walk into a store, you walk into this room, uh, this room full of guys, and you look around and you think, of all the guys in here, I think that's the guy I can mug. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> and let me tell you. That is the last If guy. you make a mistake of trying to mess with old Daniel, you're going to get the old uh, pistol. Sure. My God, that guy But he's also so nice, he'd else. be like, oh, man, you need some money? Yeah, you yeah. need some cash, <laughs> bro. <laughs> I mean, yeah, what a guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy to have like a, I mean, a legend, literally a legend. Yeah. Yeah. Giving us instructions, and the guy's as humble as it gets. Quiet. Very humble. Yeah. Well, very, you too, man. Humble. I mean, you all have. Same with James Nash. Very. Two-time yeah. Purple Heart Purple recipient. Heart, dude. I was like, what? Honor. You know, that's that's really – I appreciate that. Um, it, it's it's It just means that I suck at, at ducking, kind of. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, that means you, you are – there for your brothers is what yeah. that means to me. I'm not yeah. an army guy, not a navy guy, not any sort of military. Mm-hmm. But anybody who has a purple heart has my respect, hands Absolutely. down. Anybody who serves in the military, yeah, has, I, that's what I was going to say. I you mean, know, they've dedicated time out of their life for me. For me, bottom and line, for me. What sucks is there is a lot of people out there that don't realize the sacrifices that you guys have given yep. to make us be able to walk around. And talk trash. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy to me. Yeah, it really is. So well, thank you to all yeah, you veterans you. Yeah. out there. Yeah, there, thank you. there are some incredible veterans in this country. There really are. And, you know, we're fortunate in this company to work with a lot of really amazing ones. A yeah. lot of really I, amazing I was ones. pretty sad I didn't get to meet old Bam. I've been following him forever, Yeah, me too, man. man. Yeah. I was really looking forward to meeting that guy. He's a character. You know, he, he he's one of my best friends. He's a super good guy, huge personality. Um, it's not for everybody, you know, but he always, always puts a smile on my face. And you talk about somebody that's going to have your back no matter what. And the thing is, he could hate you. He could hate you. And you could call him and be like, I need some help. And he's like, there. Um, and that I, I just, I truly believe that with anybody, um, he's, he's just a really incredible guy. Eli Crane that was out here last week, you know, Navy SEAL sniper, as humble as can be an incredible entrepreneur, right? He, he took a really simple concept, went and he, he worked really hard. He got on shark tank, built this huge business. And now he's an entrepreneur and a philanthropist on top of that. 
just as humble as can be. And man, can that guy run a gun? Yeah. So fun. And Brian, dude, it, it it's almost painful how humble you are. Like, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> you take I think everybody here is really humble. But you take this this incredibly difficult task of elk hunting, which is just hard enough on its own. So, you know, one in ten guys that hunts elk will kill an elk in a given year. That's really low odds to start with. That's an elk. And then you're going out on public land mm. and you're finding the biggest bulls in the country year after year after year. And it's not because I'm, I'm going to say it, it's, it's not because you're lucky. It's not even because you're good. It's because you work your guts out year yeah. round and you hire good people and you pay them well and you care more than anybody I know. A team of people and you got to take pride in what you're doing. Amen. I mean, that's what I, I mean, I grew up. When you're doing something, you do it. So, yeah, for yeah. sure. So how? And I, and I appreciate that, James. I really do. Well, how? I mean, let's say somebody's in in Utah or Arizona or any state besides Oregon, for the love of God, and you want to offer them some advice for how to do what you do. They're probably not going to want to hear the advice that you're about to give. But what would you tell them? I don't know. It's just hard work. Uh, so. Uh, a buddy of mine recently, and I would probably mess the quote up, but he said, um, and we were thinking about putting it on a t-shirt, but he said, the desire to kill must be greater the pain in which to, the pain endured in which to do so. Mm. So you have to be so passionate mm -hmm. and so driven by what your end goal is that nothing else matters, lack of sleep, pain, you know, whatever you have to do yeah. to achieve that. And you can break that down as a hunter. I mean, it's scouting. It's it's so many different things, right? I mean, from being able to shoot well, all of it. It's it's from getting yourself in shape. I mean, it's not hunting and, and uh, it's, everything. It's, it's a whole picture of things that people overlook. You know, we have a lot of hunters that... They come to you, they're out of shape, they can't find an animal in their scope, they can't shoot, you know. It's, it's your life. I think, you know, to actually achieve your goal as a hunter, if you have something, a goal in mind, and that is harvesting a, a trophy animal, I think it's more than stumbling onto an animal and harvesting that. You know, there is a lot more into it and i think that you just have to work hard at every aspect of it but the biggest thing is is you have to actually desire that because we'll leave 380 bull on the mountain because the guy said no i don't i don't want to go down there yeah i don't want to do that why he didn't desire it yeah you know? he wanted bad enough yeah he didn't want to do it he didn't it you know if that was standing on the road damn right let's yeah hell yeah i want to but you have to you have to desire it. So before you're a professional outfitter, you really distinguish yourself in in two fields that are extremely difficult. One of those being wrestling, and the other being rodeo. How do you feel like wrestling and rodeo contributed to who you are now, and how you find success as an outfitter and as a hunter? I think wrestling is just a great. Um sport if you will that builds a, a good human 
teaches you how to work. It teaches you responsibility. It just builds good human beings. And, and I'm actually, uh, toying around. I do some coaching now and, and that's when my wrestlers are having trouble. I get them to the side and I say, this is, this is, this isn't about winning a match. This isn't about wrestling your opponent. This is about life, man. You're taking these skills, you're taking these things and you're, you're becoming a productive human being and you, you're learning how to control your emotions. You're learning how to control your temper. You're learning all of these things to be a good human being, you know. Um, it also makes you very strong-minded. You know? When you're hiking in a canyon, I bet Jake and all of us can probably say we've been in a situation where if we would have been weak-minded people, we would have died. Oh, yeah. We would have <laughs> died. Man I, literally died. last week, yep. literally last week, I called my wife and I said, I understand why people die. I said, I, I got so exhausted, so cold, so tired from pogoing through snow to my hips, swimming out of it. You know, you go 30 yards trying to swim on your hands and knees and just stay afloat through this rotten snow. A lot of people would have quit. And just laid yep. there, got hypothermic, and died. I mean, in that, in that, I'm not exaggerating, you know, but yeah. I've been in that position several times. And yeah. in the hound world, I think we put ourselves because, Especially with dogs. like he said, we're not leaving those dogs. Yeah. We turn yeah. them out, we're getting to them, and we're getting out. And you don't get to choose where they go. No. You do not get to choose where they go 100%. So. And I think, like you were saying in the sports, um, Going through high school, I would say the best lessons I ever learned were on the football field. You learn how to win, you learn how to lose, and you learn how to accept either one of those. And in life, I feel like those are some of like the strongest lessons. As you're saying, if someone wants to get out there and pursue an elk, and you have no idea about this, as I said back in the beginning of this, pack up. There is so many millions of people out there like-minded in Florida chasing lizards. I like, I can call this guy up now and we can go chase hogs. Hell yeah. I mean, you can hashtag elk hunting. You will find 5 million views in there. There's someone in there that would love to have a hunting partner. I guarantee it. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't do half the hunts. I didn't, I do without my two hunting partners, um, both Heath and Joe. Um, he's the brains. Joe's been the muscles and, I mean, as a team, we're just a deadly, deadly. It's awesome tripod. when you find a good team like that. Yeah, yeah. and and there's there's so many people out there that want to do what you want to do, whether it be hunting, whether it be fishing, whether it be playing basketball. It's just a motivator, basically. Yeah, it yep. motivates you into into being a better person. Know, yeah, into pursuing what you you really want. But when you're left alone to pursue it, sometimes you need a little bit of a push. Yeah. Yep on that but i think that you know my mindset come a lot from wrestling and then rodeo just you know rodeo was great but it was i mean it probably just taught me how to like get really beat up and live through it it's a real thing though yeah last year i actually uh this might be a little bit off the subject and i don't even like to share this story but a buddy of mine we went in the mountains where we pogo through snow all day to about one o'clock I just, we're in nine miles, um, fall log. And I, you know, actually at your brother's memorial one year, I lacerated my liver 
I, I did a lot of stuff that year. I lacerated my liver, punctured a bowel, broke a bunch of libs, collapsed lungs wow. uh, in the hospital for a couple of weeks. Fall off log. I mean, simple. We fall off log. I step up on a log, my foot slips, and I'm just going to step backwards, right? There's about a six, eight-foot uh, bank below me. I went that way. And I landed on just about a four-inch pitch stump is what it was, oh. just a, kind of a stop. It hit me just right on my liver. You know, your liver is just a ball of jello. It, you can just get punched and it lacerates, right? Lacerated my liver. My buddy, I can't breathe. I can't do anything. I, adrenaline scrambles me up. I lay on the ground. He gets over there. He says, dude, are you all right? And I can't talk. And, you know, I said, no. I said, I lacerated my liver. He goes, what do you mean? You I knew said, what happened. Oh, immediately. If you've ever had a lacerated liver or you're a paramedic, you've probably been around people, James. Sure. Uh, you, you're sick. I, I knew, I recognized all of the symptoms that I had before. Wow. I said, I lacerated my liver. He's like, what? Being an idiot, uh, you know, nothing's going to happen. I leave my Garmin inReach at camp. We don't have service. We're in a burn. You can't get in there with a helicopter to start with. I lay there. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. Finally, he gets me to my feet. I said, I'm just going to hike to the top. And call. I knew we had service at camp, so I have to hike the opposite direction of our snowmobiles. We rode in 36 miles on snowmobiles. We're in there about nine miles where we are right now. We have to cross a river, mind you, to get back. I hike up. First thing I do is FaceTime my family because I'm like, I know I'm hurt, you know, yeah. and you don't know. By yeah. the time I got to the top and got moving, I actually felt better, and I thought, well, I'm not going to bleed to death probably, but I'm really lightheaded. I'm sick. You're just sick. When you lacerate your liver, you're just sick to your stomach. So I FaceTime because I want to see my little boy and tell her what happened. I said, call the doctor and tell him, you know, how I'm feeling. And she said, well, you call him. So I call, and they said, well, you need to call your primary. I call the hospital. Mm -hmm. I said, I just fell down. I lacerated my liver. You know, what are the symptoms to where this is something that, I need to get Life Flight to come get me, or do you think I can make it out of here? And hospitals being hospitals, she says, well, sir, you're going to have to call your primary doctor. Oh my I God. said, oh. I don't have a primary doctor. She said, well, call the 4th Street Clinic and, we'll in, and, and ask the doctor what to do. So I did. I called the clinic, and the clinic starts asking me the same questions, puts me on hold. Finally, I hang up. I call my wife back. I said, uh, yeah, I'm, we're not doing that. I'm not talking to them. So she gets upset because she knows that when I said I'm hurt, I'm hurt, you yeah. know. Uh, rodeo, you know, just taught me, you know, yeah. a lot about you know, that. Your body. Yeah, knows. yeah. yeah. Your, your scale you know. of I'm hurt is different yeah. from most people's Most people, scales. yeah. And I, I had a nurse when I finally got to the hospital. Long story short, I guess where I was going with that is just rodeo probably helped me on in situations like that yeah. or like just – being strong-minded, and, and we get to the top, and I talked to LifeLight. I actually called them, and they said, you know, honestly, we're going to have to probably long-line you out of there if we come get you, so um, we'll have to get National Guard. But National Guard is going to have to get there before dark, this, that, and the other. And I said, you know what, you guys just, just chill. I'm going to walk out of here. So we walk out of there. It was, it was not really that big a deal, but I get to the hospital, and I got a buddy in there. He's a good friend of mine, also a wrestling coach. He goes, what are you doing here? I said, oh, I lacerated my liver. He goes, I believe you. He goes, I looked at a lot of people today, and I guarantee if you said that, you did it. <laughs> so, yeah, I lay in the hospital bed for six days. Wow. It's miserable. That could yeah. have been worse. Wow. That could have been a lot worse. Yeah. 
How far did you have to hike out? About nine miles. Yeah. <laughs> and then we rode snowmobiles 36 miles. Wow. And it was actually so. <laughs> you if had, you were an elk, I would have found you in a mile. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, yes. but they don't know. Like we talked about yeah. today in our trainings, you know, an elk, they don't know that it's they're dying or whatever. Yep. Yeah, they get sick, so they lay down. Yeah. You know, we're our mind's working. Our mind's like, okay, you're hurt, dude. Your liver's lacerated. Get help. But you need to get out of there. And the worst thing, I would never, ever, I mean, if you ever think that your liver's lacerated, Call Life Flight and get out because I was actually bleeding internally. I had a lot of blood pooled in my body. It was absolutely miserable to urinate for about a week because that blood, your bladder swells up. That blood kind of does something in there. And it, and, and not like when I was urinating, but just in your guts, your bladder. Oh. I mean, it was miserable. And you can die. I mean, it. Sure. I was an idiot. I was an idiot, but I'm an idiot. Everybody that knows me knows that. So <laughs> you just have if you're to. You're gonna be uh, dumb. You yeah. better be tough. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. If, you're gonna be, if you're gonna be stupid, you better be tough. Yeah. So. You know, one of the best quotes that I've ever was told in a high stretch situation was told to me by a guy named Jordan um, Harmon and Jason George, and they said, in a high stretch situation, there's two kinds of people. There's people who take charge, and there's people who take orders. Doesn't matter which one you are, as long as you know the difference. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's a fact. When you get into bad situations, you either know how to handle it, or you got to look to the next guy better over know who you are, and yeah. you better hope exactly. that he knows how to take control. Yep. Because the last thing you want to do is get yourself into a bad situation where you have no control over it. Yeah, you got to stay clear-minded when you're out there. You yeah. really do. I but. don't. I don't do super well in like calm and peaceful environments. Um, that's, that's a little bit overwhelming and unsettling to me. It's not stimulating. Um, I tend to get lazy and you know, I, I need, I need that struggle and I need that challenge when things absolutely get chaotic, get violent, start to fall apart. I feel this like sense the of calm come slows. over me. Come hog hunting like, with me, son. It is I appreciate crazy. It. But it, I think probably rodeo actually, you know, telling that story and stuff and and like you said staying calm-minded i mean what is more you know your mind racing than riding bulls you know what i mean yeah, sure. so <laughs> when you're put in a situation where something like that's going on you're you're i was never as jacked as you just for 90 points and jumped off and or yeah. even just taking your app you know yeah i have very dear friends that died sure know? yeah so yeah it's uh yeah. all I think a lot of that stuff plays into, you know, our successes, what we do. You know, roadhill cowboys are are interesting creatures, and I I really don't don't consider myself to be one, even though I rodeoed for a long time. But when I was at uh, at the John Day High School rodeo, when I was a senior in high school, I went off over the front of this bareback horse, and I landed right on the back of my head but going forward <laughs> and uh, one of the ligaments that attached to a spinal process that came off like C4 or C3 somewhere in there. One of the important ones, it, it tore a chunk of the bone off. Um, so it was, a, it was a broken neck, but it wasn't like a super broken neck and I hurt bad, like real bad, but I got up and I walked out of the arena because being in a rodeo family and rodeoing my whole life, it's like 
no matter what, if you can walk out of the arena, you walk out of the arena. You can yeah. crawl on a stretcher right there, you know, on the other side of the fence, and you can get on the hot walk get out in the ambulance prod. and go. But if you can walk out, you walk out. And I've always had such admiration for people who can perform when they're hurt. Um, you know, you occasionally see a football player that you know breaks something and he's like gets out off the field before the before they have to call a timeout or. Um, you guys remember that, that gymnast with a busted ankle in the, in the Olympics, you know, they, they show her all the time and she, she went, did a kajillion flips in the air and landed on her busted leg and won gold for the U S Olympic team. Like stuff like that just mm. gets me every single time. Yeah. It's like a Hallmark commercial and 30 seconds into it. I'm getting weepy because I love seeing people overcome that. And it's not any different with, with dogs or, or other animals or whatever, like, when you see that real sure enough challenge and you know that that's the test that either makes or breaks um, and that creature, whatever it is, overcomes it like yeah. that, yep. that is a feeling like nothing else in the world. It's per- personalities and, and animals have personalities. Oh yeah. And it's crazy what the human body or any animal for that being said um can take the amount of pain that you can put your body through breaking if you have a strong enough willpower and mind power um it's like daniel said he's seen six people shoot themselves and every one of them walked over to the ambulance like that's pretty nuts to me. (laughs) I'm not gonna lie. I, I find that to be very nuts. Like, um, most people stub their toe and they sit down and they start crying over it. And it's like, well, the right kind of toe stubbing is, is a painful. little, it's definitely painful. I mean, I, I can't say I've shot myself with a gun. Thank God. I hope I never do. You know, biting the inside of your cheek. That one. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's real pain. I've never getting I, stung by bees. Yeah. Well, nothing to do that's with that. not fun either. <laughs> I, I really don't want to even talk about it on here, but I will anyway. So I've been, I got shot in the leg by a buddy, and honestly, I didn't even know it was shot. It didn't hit a bone, so that maybe those guys got their bones hit. I'm not sure, but I think they're just trying to trying to draw fast and burning one down their leg. Didn't even know I was shot. He goes, "Oh, shot you? No, you didn't. (laughs) Oh, Oh, shot shot you. (laughs) Look down, my legs covered in blood. I'm like, you shot me. You shot me. (laughs) (laughs) But you." So I can completely believe that yeah. six guys walked to the ambulance because I've actually heard that a lot. I don't know if it's the adrenaline it, or what, especially like in and out. I don't know. I mean, it's really painful after. <laughs> I I'll guess, tell you that much. I guess that's why they say when you hit uh, an elk, the next one anchored down and hit bone. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I I guarantee there's a lot of animals that die that never knew they were dead. Yep. Oh, they for sure. did not. I mean, they. They don't even know it hit them, mm-hmm. and uh, yep. and I don't know if it's, I don't I don't know. It's hard to explain. Yeah, shock. If this is bullet imp. The way it sears through, I don't know. No. Well, so there's a there's a universal decision making cycle called the OODA loop, O O D A, and it's um, observe, orient, decide, and act. And this was invented by by a fighter pilot. And this is how all humans, and I'm pretty sure animals, go through their lives of making decisions. So they observe a situation, they orient on that situation, um, depending on their previous life experience and what's going on at the time, 
And if they can orient on what they've observed, then they make a decision. And if they can make a decision, then they act upon that decision. And then that changes the situation and the cycle starts all over again. So that's why it's called the loop. If something happens that you're not able to orient on, then you can never get to the decision in the action phase. And that observation never really sinks into your mind. So we can see things that we can't orient on and it, it just never makes it into our, our mind. Like we don't have the cognitive ability to process something that we can't see. When Cortez and his men marched north from Mexico and hit the Grand Canyon, they didn't even write about it in their diaries. They said that they came to the edge of the world and it was an abyss and they turned around. Like they couldn't orient on the depth of that canyon because they'd never seen anything like it in their lives. They just thought that was the edge of the world. Wow. And there's, we are not aware of all the things in our lives that we, that we encounter that are like that. Mm-hmm. So if something happens immediately like immediately like that then our decision making cycle our OODA loop cycle is disrupted and you know we don't know how to how to behave with it so you know for you it's like you know you might not have heard the sound you might not have felt it because you had no way to orient on what had just happened yeah i just thought he missed you know it went by <laughs> me is what is what actually happened it was a safety malfunction he just hit the safety the gun goes off oh really yeah and, uh, I mean, every single time you take it off safety, boom, gun would go off. Wow. Just Never in, point a weapon at anything no. you do not and, intend to shoot. Yep. And f- to this very day, I can still remember his dad said, that's because of safety is a mechanical device that can and will fail. Yeah. That's one of the so, things I really love about these pistols that don't even have them. Yeah. Because you're not relying on them. Yeah. So See, it, I like having a yeah. safety. No. I love having a safety, but I do agree with you there. You should never rely on it, you know what yep. I mean? And oh, if yeah, it doesn't sure. have one in in your conscience, you're like, this gun doesn't have a safety. Yeah, a you're going to be more cautious with it, possibly. Well, the fact of the matter is your car has a seat belt and you can still die in it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it really, I mean, it's a safety mechanism and it helps to keep you safe, but it does not make it safe, period. Yeah. Sometimes it... I don't actually, feel comfortable having one in the chamber if it don't have a safety. Yeah. It just fucking makes me nervous. Dude. I love it. If I'm alone, that's how I live my if life. I'm well, a, I got to have I'm a, yeah, I mean, if I I'm feel alone, like a pussy fine, if I don't. <laughs> if I'm alone, I'm good. But like I told somebody out there today, it's like there's so many people and guns, it and makes, I'm thinking. You feel weird. Almost a little bit paranoid, like, yep. gosh, I hope all these guys are safe. Don't step in <laughs> front of me. Which I know they are. Yeah. I really do. And we're, we're, and all, could, we're all watching each other. and You, you know, guys are yeah. all military background and just absolute professionals anyway, so. You guys were very well. I, I had an empty uh, gun today, and I had left the bolt down. It was, and it, I kept trying to put it on safety, and it wasn't going on safety. So I thought, well, I just can't put it on safety because it was empty. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris come by and said, hey, man, make sure your gun's clear. At least pull the bolt back or do what you got to do. Sure. So we don't know. And he's he seen it immediately, you yeah. know, and I appreciated that a lot. Yeah, this is a very safe safe. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Very, safe. very very safe. So I, you know, my goal for you guys is, you know, to learn, um, to have fun, but beyond all that, we just got to be safe. Like yep, for sure. safety, safety comes first and then everything else comes in line. So if you're learning and you're having fun while you're doing it, then it's a good experience and you can actually retain those lessons and build off of them. And, you know, we're going to, 
we talked about it before, but we're going to keep doing these trainings and we're going to hit a higher level each time. And it's not just you guys that are learning. Like I would be amazed if any one of you is learning more from this course from being here than I'm learning from teaching it. Watching. Yeah. yeah. I learned so much out here by teaching this stuff and by observing you guys and, and answering your questions and then thinking about those questions. So, you know, I, I'm getting a huge benefit from this and I hope that you're getting, you know, half as much as what I'm getting from oh, it. Oh man, it's been incredible for yeah. me because it's, I don't have the knowledge that some of these folks do and it's, it's been incredible. Yeah. It's definitely been a information overload mm-hmm. for well, sure. And I think it's really cool that we have people from all walks of the world here you know, lizard man, cat man. Lizard man. You know what I'm saying? Come on, let's not make that stick now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, but, as bad as but I'm boy. learning. But, but you're actually learning all kinds of different stuff, not from you folks, but from everybody. Yeah. I mean, we're learning all kinds of little things. Well, for me, it's like other. a totally, dude, I don't shoot long distance. I don't, you know, shoot with a pistol and all that. So for me, but yeah, it's like we're just learning great stuff. Tons. I mean, about hunting, about firearms, about optics. Mm-hmm. But it's just this lodge is incredible. The yeah, food's mind everything's blowing. Everything's been oh, yeah. awesome. I mean, I've had, I've had a great time. I Mo- was, Montana's a horrible place. Don't move here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, it's funny, man. I I have been so like adamant with my girlfriend. I never want to move out of Florida. There's nothing. Florida's got it all for me. Dude, as soon as I got up here, I was like. Damn, I could live out in the mountains, dude. Oh, this man. is unreal. Come back in February. <laughs> when it's yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the biggest thing is um I guess, you know, a lot of people come out here in the spring and summertime and it, it is beautiful and enjoyable. But when you come out it's here harsh. in the dead of winter, it can be balls cold. Fifty six yeah. below is brutal. not fun to yeah. be calving cows in. Yeah, I bet. Oh, that's yeah. brutal. I mean, it's really not. So definitely stay in um, Florida. If you do come, well, <laughs> well, I just want you to stay down say, there so I can come shoot an iguana. Come on, yeah. I'm gonna come catch a huge snake, probably new state record. You're gonna be like, oh, man, he did it. Yeah, I'm a little envious. Seven, Seventeen credit. eight. He'll be cutting a little bit of the tail. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He'll be like, uh-uh, dude, <laughs> not quite. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, boys, this has been fun. I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate you taking time out of your lives to come out here to this event. Um, and, uh, it, it's, it's just great having new friends and, you know, Brian and I grew up together, but don't, don't live that far apart. We never get to see each other. I know. I was you cussing know, we're you today. The, we're, we're always in the woods, you know? Yeah. I was so, telling Kyle, I said, yeah, he's in trouble now. I said, we're out here doing this stuff. He knows everything about, and we live half hour apart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've met a guy from twin bridges population, I think less than 250 people. I met a guy from my town here. Yeah. Never met him before. Yeah. Oh, that tells crazy. you how much I'm in the woods yeah. and how yeah. much I'm in town. I think I've maybe seen him in the store once. And that's the thing with these with these hunting events and shows and stuff. Like hunters are in the woods, you know, either with their clients or alone the entire year unless it's for a show or an event. Yep. So that's the only time we see each other. And there are no shows this year. Yeah. It's no. like I didn't get to see any of my boys. And you know, now that we're getting to have a couple of these events, we finally get this community back together. And, you know, this type of thing, which, you know, has never been done before by anybody is really cool because not only do we get to hang out, but we also get to leverage off of each other to come mm-hmm. away from it with all of us being better. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Definitely. So, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Big thanks to you guys, man. Yeah. Huge sure. thanks. I mean, I'm 
I'm like him. I'm beside myself that I'm even here, and I don't know if it's humble or what. You know, I James believes in me a lot. I really, really truly appreciate that, and he's he's kind of sold me to these guys, and it's just uh, it's really I don't know. Yeah, really um, I mean, to be one here. thing I will say um, from the TV standpoint, even is it's just crazy to be giving such an opportunity. It's yeah, it's just it's unbelievable, yeah, for sure. man. It's yeah, just it's very it's rewarding for sure. And, I mean, I it mean, speaks for itself. Yeah, I definitely we appreciate everybody out there supporting Sig, supporting us hunting. Yeah. Um, even if you don't like hunting, uh, if you got questions, look us up. Ask. We ain't afraid to yeah, for sure. answer questions. So if you look in the in the show notes down here, you can find links to get a hold of all these guys. And I hope that you do because they're wonderful resources. And I appreciate all you guys for listening. And uh, you gentlemen, we've got a good day of shooting tomorrow. You need to get some rest so that you can be fast and accurate. And uh, we're going to get after it. Uh, one last thing I would say out there, um, even though you might not be at this SIG event, you might not be on the History Channel, none of us here sitting at this table thought we would be here. Um, I never thought I'd be on the History Channel. Dream big and take never take no for an answer. That's awesome, yeah. dude. And you're 100%, 100% right. For sure. Follow your passion. Yeah. 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 You follow your heart, you'll definitely uh, never work a day in your life. Yep. Yeah. So That's the truth. Absolutely. It might right. work, but you'll love it. Well, thanks, guys. Catch y'all next time. This episode is brought to you by Stanley. It's that iconic hammer tone green thermos that women filled with soup while they were building B-17s. And men used to carry coffee when they flew those bombers into combat. It's that faded stainless steel bottle that's seen more trees felled and calves branded and barbed wire stretched than any living man. Six generations of Americans have been using Stanley to keep their coffee hot and their beer cold. They have a 100% leak-proof lifetime guarantee, and now it's not just the old green thermos. They have camp cookware, drinkware for that evening scotch, coolers, and some sweet titanium bottles that are light enough you'll throw one in your pack when you go hunting. I love a company that lasts by making gear that lasts. And if you're anything like me, you will also appreciate gear that's more likely to end up in your will than a landfill. Check it out over at stanley1913.com. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share the show with a friend. You can also rate the podcast and leave a review. Your support allows me to keep doing what I love, which is meeting incredible folks and sharing their stories with you. For more content and photos, follow the show on Instagram at Six Ranch Podcast or me at Six Ranch Outfitters. This episode was produced by Emily Brannigan with original music written and performed by Justin Hay. Art for the Six Ranch Podcast was created by John Chatelain and digitized by Celia Christofferson. Tune in every Monday for a brand new episode of the Six Ranch Podcast. I'll catch you next week.